0: Tune in to the Bridging the Gap radio show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Be a part of this challenging but life-changing show discussing men versus males, educational issues, parenting tips, and learning how to be faithful in trying times. That's the Bridging the Gap radio show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. Call in and be a part of the show at 347-855-8867. on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Remember, positive communication is the key to success. Powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network.
1: This is the 15-minute lunch break with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon here on Never Had It So Good, Gospel 107. I'm here every Tuesday and Thursday at 12 noon to give you 15 minutes of biblical, spiritual inspiration and encouragement and motivation for the week. Today, I want to speak to you from the thought, trust him and move on. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for these are the words of the contemporaneous rendering of the text of Jeremiah 29 11 from the Bible. In particular, this is the Eugene Peterson's message Bible transliteration of that particular text. The text rings of the assurance with which God speaks to the believer about the plans that he has for them. Vanita Hampton Wright in her book, The Simple Acts of Moving Forward, suggests that discipline, both its acknowledgement and its practice, Stands even today in our culture that seems antithetical to the idea of conviction as the linchpin upon which one must hang all hopes with regard to getting unstuck from the issues and experiences in modern life that have the potential and power to take the wind out of ourselves. She posits that discipline is still the answer. She suggests that those of us that have the handicapping tendency to hinder their own destinies by hanging out in relationships and mentalities longer than God intended for us to be there should develop, recite, and make a part of their toolbox going forward the following mantra. Give me the discipline to get rid of the stuff that's not important. Help me to remember that every week of my life affords me a garbage day. A day when I'm supposed to empty my life of the refuse. Stuff that's no longer useful, stuff that's spoiled, and stuff that's past its expiration date. God, give me the freedom to savor the stuff that gives me joy. She says, help me to celebrate my successes. You've got to affirm the better that you've become. Exhale the stuff that's of no benefit to you, but inhale the oxygen-rich experience. And God, give me the patience not to worry about the stuff that's messy, but not hurting anybody. Mrs. Wright suggests that there are always messy moments in our lives that we can't so easily toss in the trash. And we surely cannot readily celebrate. But these moments must not become monuments in our lives. Success has the capacity to snare us in the sanctums of self-righteousness. Reaching Mount Zion, making it to the sanctuary, being in his presence, making it past the dry places of our lives and getting to the mountaintop can sometimes make us self-righteous. Success has a sinister way of causing us to fall for the trinkets of good while forsaking the treasures of great. If the truth is told, life in Christ, real life in Christ is not really best characterized in accumulated success, but rather is delineated by one's ability to carry on. It's about being unwavering in the face of persecution. It's about withstanding the pressure to give up and to give in. It's about outlasting the peril that comes against us. Some of those perils are on purpose, some are unplanned, some were brought on by our own mistakes and missteps, and much of them are just part of the fabric of life, not to be directly blamed on any given individual. If we will be frankly honest, success is possible in the world without Christ. You can achieve material and substantive success in this world without having a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can be unsaved, steeped in sin, and still be, in the world's eyes, successful. But this success, unfortunately, is temporal. It only has value and comfort and comfort in this world and on this side of glory. Let us not be fooled. Success does not equal spiritual. Success has the unavoidable consequence of developing some sense of self-reliance. It can lead to self-aggrandizement. It can cause us to become confused by how we got where we are. And hence, we begin to congratulate ourselves. This is why we have to be intentional in our trust of God. How can we be intentional in our trusting of God? We can do this by avoiding success snares. To avoid these success snares, we have to keep open the possibility of hearing from God. We have to respond without delay to instructions from God. We can't be afraid to admit that we don't have all the answers. We must be ready, willing, and able to exactly do what God says to do. And we must trust God regardless of our circumstance. Every test, struggle, situation and pressurized circumstance that you go through is personalized, prescribed and customized to shape and mold you in the crucible of crisis so that you might become the image of Christ that God intended for you to be before the very foundations of the earth. The worst of us is broken in the process of us striving in the flesh with unrighteousness, while simultaneously the best of us is strengthened as we lose grip of the world and plunge into the depths of the spirit. The Christian walk is a challenge of dealing with what is rather than what ought to be. It's not what men do that is vital, but rather what they are. If we are right as to our inward being, if we have a right view of who we are by virtue of what God says, then we shall certainly do right as to our outward actions. I may never attain to sinlessness, but I can certainly practice the sin less. Nothing else besides Christ is necessary for right Christian living. If our faith is to make any headway in the present time, it must be proved to be more than a theory. We must present to the investigation of the critical minds of our age, the realities of lives transformed by the mighty power of God, working in them all the good pleasure of his will. Trusting God must be an ingrained character trait of Christians. Ignatius, the pastor of a church at Antioch and a disciple of the apostle John, upon being condemned to death in Rome around AD 110, wrote these words. It is not that I want merely to be a Christian, but actually I want to be a Christian. Yes, if I prove to be one of being faithful to the end, then I can have the name. Come fire, cross, battling with wild beasts, wrenching of bones, mangling of limbs, crushing of my whole body, cruel tortures of the devil. Only let me get to Jesus Christ. It is difficult. It is tremendously perplexing a thought that being Christian in the earliest years of the movement when God's power was mostly acutely present and prevalent in the lives of the believers and those that came into contact with them, that this man's confession would be that Christianity is not demonstrated in the marvelous working of miracle signs and wonders, but it is best seen in one's ability to outlast persecution without succumbing to compromise and complacency. For some, being Christian has been minimized to some cultural and traditional stance. Some have made it into some nominal title inherited from a previous generation. Some have made it into a list of certain behaviors and added attending church. For some, being a Christian is largely a political position defending moral values in a public square. Others even define Christianity as a past religious experience. Some have so micromanaged the ideology and the conception of Christianity down to the common denominator of simply having a general belief in Jesus or even more tragic, a desire to be a good person. Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators, in his book Discipleship, describes what he believes to be the critical need of this hour. He says we need an army of soldiers dedicated, submitted and committed to the cause of and the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, Jesus, not of the manger, not of the one asleep in the bow of the ship, the Jesus, not the one that hungered for bread or thirsted for water, not even the Jesus that cried out in the garden of Gethsemane, but the Jesus that was undeterred in the presence of doubt in Matthew 28 and 18 and declared, all power has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. The Jesus that confidently declares there's been a power shift. The father has put all things under my management and he has decreed that none shall be lost. That same Jesus that the Bible declares in the book of Ephesians took captivity captive and gave gifts unto man. He says we need soldiers with a reengineered image of who the commander in chief is. He says these soldiers must not only believe that he is God, but he but that he can fulfill every promise he has ever made and that there isn't anything too hard for him. George Hegel said nothing great in the world has ever been accomplished without passion. Passion is a necessary precursor to pressure. Frederick Douglass, the African-American abolitionist said, those who profess to favor freedom and change and yet depreciate agitation are people who want crops without plowing the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean and its lapping waves without the roar of its many waters. The struggle may be a moral one or maybe a physical one or it may be both, but it must be a struggle power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. As I struggle to conclude this treatise, make it a well. I'm reminded of a sermon that I preached some years back. It was entitled Focus on the Finish. I would like to take these closing remarks to share some of that message. There's so many of us, even in Christ, who aren't focused on the finish, The enemy of our souls has so artfully created these mirages of distraction in our lives that keep us running in circles, starting stuff and never finishing, causing us to be trapped in these repetitive patterns of joy and sadness. The text that was the focus for that sermon was lifted from the book of Philippians, chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. God is calling us to stand fast in him. Standing fast is not about standing still in God as much as it is about staying connected to God. Those who are able to stand fast in the Lord are those that are focused on the finish that God has ordained for their lives. Regardless of the roads, the valleys, the quagmires, the paths, the fields and the pits through which that life takes them. Nelson Mandela stands today as one of contemporary history's most venerated characters. His life's accomplishment read as an epic account of the tremendous and miraculous triumph of perseverance, endurance, hope in defiance of hopelessness over and above the obstinate, repressive resistance of government endorsed discrimination and prejudice at its most potent. The system of apartheid in South Africa was a cruel, culturally mitigating method of social, economic and mental oppression and societal stratification. Discrimination and relegation of civil rights based on skin color was the art of the day. He was born a member of the quantifiable majority in his homeland, but he was subjugated to the status of the subordinate class by the clear occupying minority. Nelson Mandela was asked in his autobiography, A Long Walk to Freedom, when it was that he became politicized, when it was that he became this political figure, when was it that he recognized that he would be engaged in a fight for his freedom? When did he realize that he was the one chosen to metaphorically lead out of the blocks and carry the baton through the first leg of the race to freedom and literally prosperity for many in South Africa? Mandela replied with these words. I cannot pinpoint a moment when I became politicized, when I knew that I would spend my life in the liberation struggle. I don't remember the day I took hold of the baton. As far as I saw it, to be an African in my South Africa meant that one was politicized from the moment of one's birth, whether one acknowledged it or not. How many of you would be honest as you listen to this 15 minute lunch break and declare with conviction you've had that conversation with yourself? I can't remember when I signed up for this adversity. I don't remember signing on the dotted line. I don't remember shaking hands with the enemy and coming into agreement that my life will be interspersed with struggle and stress and challenge and resistance the moment I exited the womb. Yes, you were born in a time of inconvenience. You were born under a cloud of suspicion. You didn't ask to be here and they didn't ask you to come. You were born, but you weren't necessarily wanted. You've been under attack from your mother's womb, a threat to the enemy, whether you acknowledged it or not. Nelson Mandela continued in his response and said, An African child was born in an Africans-only hospital, taken home in an Africans-only bus, lived in an Africans-only area, attended an Africans-only school, if he attended school at all. And When he grew up, he could hold on an Africans-only jog, rent an Af- a house in an Africans-only township, ride on an Africans-only train, and be stopped at any time of the day and night and be ordered to produce a pass, failing which he will be arrested and thrown into jail. His life was circumscribed by racist laws and regulations that were designed to cripple his growth, dim his potential and stunt his life. He said, I had no epiphany, no singular revelation, no moment of truth. Instead, I had a steady accumulation of a thousand slights, a thousand indignities, a thousand unremembered moments of hurt and anger. And I simply found myself living a life devoted to fighting against a system that was determined to imprison my people in their own land. Mandela had a choice. He could have succumbed to the oppression like many of his countrymen who resisted inwardly but succumbed outwardly. However, he chose to fight because he saw that their intended ends for him was not the ends he had for himself. That's a 15 minute lunch break. And I challenge you, choose to fight because the intended end that they have for you is not the end you should have for yourself. It's 15-minute lunch break with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon. God bless.
0: Tune in to the Bridging the Gap radio show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon. Live every Sunday at 5 p.m., a Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Be a part of this challenging but life-changing show discussing men versus males, educational issues, parenting tips, and learning how to be faithful in trying times. That's the Bridging the Gap radio show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. Call in and be a part of the show at 347-855-8867, on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Remember, positive communication is the key to success. Powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network.